0: welcome to this episode of athletic training chat on this episode we have dr nikki harris who is a dat and currently working at at still university but among that has done a lot of other things so far in her career uh we spend a lot of time in this episode talking about the nata career advancement committee and how that came to be and then also the nata at compensation committee both huge topics in the profession right now uh I wasn't aware of all the work that's being done uh, on both of these committees from the NAT level, so it was really interesting for me to hear um, and really just good information, I think for any athletic trainer here, especially if you're in that young professional or kind of transitioning out of that area. Um, really good information. look forward to you enjoying that. We'll talk about that amongst other things, including the hashtag DAT life, uh, which if you haven't seen, Dr. Harris's tweets on that well worth checking out. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. They're always doing stuff, again, to help bolster athletic trainers. They always want feedback. They're constantly looking for it. So if you've got ideas, things that could be helpful um, to you, let them know. They will definitely give it consideration and see what they can do to add value to us as a profession. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode. episode of Athletic Training Chat we are on with Dr. Nikki Harris who I've been looking forward to talking to for quite some time. Uh, She's very active on Twitter and puts out some amazing content which I enjoy seeing and and just looking at all of the background that she's done has done a lot in her career so far Um, and what I'm really looking forward to talking about is the NATA Career Advancement Committee. Uh, especially in the climate of the profession we seem to be in right now, with uh, just mm-hmm. where everything's at with shortages and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, I've been really looking forward to this. Uh, but before we jump into kind of talking about some of the uh, questions and topics, I just wanted to turn it over to you to kind of fill in your background and how you got to be here today.
1: Ah, the long story short. Well, thank you for having <laughs> me. Um it might be Twitter. I don't know. Maybe that's how I got here. All of my uh, word vomit on Twitter or thought vomit, I like to call it.
0: I'm fairly certain you retweeted one time once that we've like put out like, hey, we want to talk to you. And I was like, I need to reach out and say, hey, we actually do want to chat. And it took me a minute. And then, yeah.
1: People keep listening to me talk, which is amazing. So (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, I guess, long story short, I'm an athletic trainer. Um, I have been now for nine years, so I'm getting a little old. I worked in the secondary school setting uh, for three years at the infamous Miami Booker T. Washington Senior High. I will say it in full every time, but I'm a very <laughs> proud athletic trainer alumni. Um, I was there for three years, and then I went over to FIU to serve as the coordinator of athletic training services. So I worked there in our wellness and recreation center. Um, clinically and then also as a professor in our master's program Um, and then just recently in June I kind of flip-flopped to education primarily and became the director of student recruitment at AT Still University. Um, I also did my DAT at AT Still so I kind of like to be comfortable with my alumni and I'm really excited to be back there kind of helping the future of athletic training from a, a different role. Now, um, aside from that, I think you kind of touched on the fact I do some professional service and athletic training. So I am the chair of the career advancement committee, which is inaugural, I guess you'll say it's a new committee um, through the NATA. And then I also sit on the Katie education committee. So kind of like the convention programming committee a little bit. Um, and then I'm also on the AT Compensation Task Force. Um, so that's a new committee started by President Derringer to kind of look at some compensation issues and athletic training. So my service keeps me pretty busy.
0: Absolutely. That's a role I've just recently stepped into at the state level. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to best balance that and give, give as much into it as I possibly can.
1: It's a a challenge. It's a rewarding challenge, but a challenge nevertheless.
0: I can imagine. So one of the first questions we had, um, as you just referenced, this NATA Career Advancement Committee, um, as it's just started, and you are the chair, which opens up almost endless, I can imagine, opportunities of just even where to start. Um, I'm sure you got some guidance on what they're looking for from the top level down. But um, how did it come to be? And how did you work yourself to being the first chair and going from there?
1: Yeah, uh, people keep listening to me talk. I keep saying that. It's surprising. (laughs) Um, But I have to give all shout outs to Blaze Cryley. He was the chair of the Young Professionals Committee. Um, he worked with the student leadership committee, um, to kind of develop a proposal. We decided that the young professional demographic was way too large. So it was kind of serving, um, individuals that were first out, like zero years of experience all the way to up to those who had 12 years of experience. And you probably know as well as I do that at your 12 year mark, your problems are nothing like the problems of somebody who just graduated. Isn't that Um, the truth? So we just felt like there was no possible way to kind of please both ends of the spectrum. So he kind of worked with uh, president Lindley and the student leadership committee to kind of redevelop what that would look like and how we could kind of better meet the needs of that demographic. Um, So with that being said, we kind of redeveloped the young professionals committee and split that into two. So now we have the early professionals committee, which is zero to six years, which, you know, can focus a little bit more into those transition to practice early athletic trainer issues, conditions, yeah. um, and, and we kind of took on that career advancement. Um, we always laughed that we didn't, we made the assumption that people wanted to advance their career when we picked the title, um, but we think most of us do. So that seven to 12 year range, we're kind of looking at um, really keeping people as athletic trainers. Uh, we've sent out a few surveys from the NATA in the last few years that I've really found out that people tend to drop out of the profession and pursue other professions Mm -hmm. um, between that seven and 12 year mark. So I think it really, really, if nothing else is trying to keep people as athletic trainers and keep people doing what they love in a way, you know, that works with their lifestyle outside of their profession with their personal life as well. So um, I'm really lucky. I was a district nine representative to the young professionals committee for the last few years. And our uh, district director, Marisa, was the liaison um, from the board of directors. So she's been awesome at kind of pulling me into professional service. Um, I think sure. once you get into it, you, they don't really let you out. Um, as long as you do a decent job, uh, yeah. they kind of pull you in and, and keep you involved. So she's done a really good job of mentoring me and kind of advocating for me to to give what I know and give my service to the profession. So um, I got really lucky and kind of expressed some interest in taking it to the next level as we transitioned to like the career advancement committee and and was lucky enough to have the opportunity to do that. So we're now getting our feet wet and kind of trying to figure out how we can re-innovate things to make sure that we're ultimately meeting that goal of keeping people as athletic trainers for as long as we can.
0: I think that's brilliant the way that you guys split that up. I think that it makes so much sense. And um, that feels, at least from what I've seen, which obviously it's hard to get a full pulse on the profession, but just what I've seen is, you know, kind of what people are potentially looking for is more help and resources and guidance um, from national orgs to help with that. So looking forward to seeing what you guys can come up with and potentially identify.
1: Yeah, I'm legitimately going to say every month when we have a meeting, I leave and I'm kind of mind blown because I'm like, well, sure. oh, like we came up with something and this is actually really beneficial and it's really nice to have, you know, a, a committee full of bright minds that are all thinking the same thing and that have yeah. been these problems and, and kind of reflecting back on what would have helped us um, when we were in the shoes of these people and how we can actually make a real difference that people are going to like notice. and be So it's pretty inspiring every
0: month at our meetings. That's great to hear. Um, I'm gonna guess, but I would like you to fill this in. Obviously, is how is what you started with this career advancement committee kind of tie in with your work on the AT compensation task force? Because I've got to imagine to some degree that those are relatively intertwined. Um, just knowing, even from my own personal like I just recently transitioned from a collegiate university job to a clinic job. And while my overall salary dropped, not dramatically by any means, in theory, my hourly rate went through the roof compared comparatively. And for me, that's been an okay trade-off, but then I, you know, kind of look again at other jobs and things that are out there, not even related to the profession and still for what we do, Probably don't feel like we're getting compensated the way that we are. And uh, my wife is very good at what she does, but the amount she makes compared to me is just mind blowing in a very good way. Um, But it is also very interesting as we work within a very large, but same organization for different, obviously, roles. So how have you seen those kind of complement or how would you hope that they complement each other if they do um, in the positive impacts you're trying to make?
1: Yeah, they do. I think I had this conversation with President Deringer, too, is I think she was very purposeful for giving me the opportunity to sit on this committee, being that I was the chair of the career advancement committee, because, you know, people are dropping out between seven and 12 years. And a lot of the reason why they are dropping out is related to compensation and one way, shape or form. Right. So they definitely overlap. And it's funny in some of our meetings on the compensation committee, we've talked about like all of these different resources and tasks and things that we want to do. And they all literally line up with like the charge of the career advancement committee, and yeah. so, like fixing work-life balance and, and teaching people salary negotiation and all these things that we want to do literally fit the needs of so many of the people that fall in our demographic for the career advancement committee so it's been really cool to see those overlap and hopefully kind of having knowledge from both sides and resources from both sides um, will help push that forward the compensation is like a task force so the coolest thing about that I think that I've noticed this might be the first task force quote unquote I've been on Um, is that like, there's like, you want to make change now. I think like in a committee, you know, things are structured and it takes time to like implement surveys and implement results when it's a task force, it's go, go, go. And we want to see change immediately, which I think it's awesome because so many athletic trainers need that change immediately before they start to kind of decide to pursue other paths. I think, especially following covid People have had a lot of time to reflect on what they want to do with their career or their life or their personal life. So now is a really important time um, to kind of give the people what they need. So compensation has been really cool. Career advancement has been really cool Uh, for the compensation committee. I'm kind of on the education arm as an educator. So we've done a lot of work um, to kind of determine literally like, what is being done in education? Like, are we actually teaching people the skills that they need in order to appropriately, like, advocate for themselves or advocate for a salary or advocate for, like, financial responsibility in the future? Because those are things that we're not Um, learning, I think, in our education across the board. Some programs do it, some programs don't, but it's not quite universal across the board. So we're really kind of looking at what is currently being done and what needs to be done. Um, And then for me, I'm a very big person of like not recreating the wheel. I think we're all really tired as athletic trainers in general. And then, like you said, adding your professional service on is voluntary and it's something you like to do, but it also takes time. So trying to do things as efficiently as possible, um, I think people sometimes don't understand the strategic alliance. I think there's been a lot of, especially on Twitter, people kind of misrepresenting or misunderstanding what each arm of the strategic alliance does from NATA to BOC to Katie. Um, So I think for me, it's really clear it's really important to clear up which each of those parties do, but then also for all of them to work together for like the betterment of athletic training. So there's right. so many ways that like the NATA can partner with the BOC or partner with Katie to get things done in a way that's a little bit more efficient than trying to fight each battle, like individually. Um, I think things just get quicker. They get done quicker and better when we work together.
0: That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, This could be a little bit of a loaded question, so I'll let you pick it apart as you need to, but just kind of from what you've seen from these, you know, there seemingly um, is this AT shortage, um, a lot of conversation going on on social media, you know, a lot of jobs that seemingly aren't even that bad of paying jobs going unfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Do, have you seen, and I have not even the slightest context from, you know, the national level, you know, are people coming and asking the NATA, you know, what is a reasonable salary for these jobs at all? Like, does that happen um, in order to potentially have these salaries increase for people to want to take these jobs? Um, I know for my specific instance in the previous role, it wasn't the highest paying job, it was livable comfortably but we also had a lot of people which was unusual for the setting I was in which made everybody's life a little bit easier where you could take downtime, you didn't you know go one sport to the next to the next to the next to just you know survive the year which made it more attainable to do obviously that's hard in a lot of different areas yeah. um, secondary school being it or do you potentially see it's et is taking a more active role in setting those boundaries or if they're going to apply for these jobs saying, here's what I am going to give you. It is going to be of the highest quality, but it's not going to just be hours upon hours or whatever um, potential limiting factor it would be. Or is it some very healthy combination of both of those things?
1: Yeah, I think it is a combination. I don't know that it's a healthy combination to be honest. It kind of makes me happy. That might sound really greedy but to some extent I really do think athletic trainers are starting to advocate for themselves a little bit more and they're not just taking these jobs that um kind of like you said that don't allow them to see their family I think that's one thing most people with families at least have decided during COVID is that they want to prioritize that time with their friends or their family or the or the people that make them happy and and kind of fill that social support for them and they're not necessarily willing to to do that labor and be away from those people for a salary that is, you know, not providing them what they need. So I think people have very much took a step back and decided um, that they need to advocate for themselves and for what they want in the future and really for what they want for the profession in the future. Um, You know, there's so many people who they say don't take a job that pays under so so-and-so, right, which in theory is easy to say, but in reality, you have to pay your bills, so I think a lot of new graduates are coming out, and they're taking those because they need that job, or they don't have a job, you know what I mean, so they kind of have to take the low-paying salaries, but I think the general demand for athletic trainers has increased so much more, so there are more jobs out there that are willing to pay a little bit more, or willing to have better benefits, Um, and people are gravitating towards those jobs over some of the ones that have traditionally paid less or had, um, less supportive administrations. I know has been a really big thing in terms of the way that your athletic director or the way that your hospital administration treats you, um, and treats athletic training programs, I think has come a long way and people aren't willing to kind of stand for the injustices that they had before. Um, so I think it's on part, a lot of athletic trainers finally kind of standing up for themselves. And I think if that is the true reason for the shortage, then I'm okay with it. Obviously it does, A bit of injustice to our patients because we want to make sure that everybody has access to an athletic trainer and we want to provide those services. But I think for a long time, athletic trainers didn't take care of themselves. Everything that we did was for the patient or for the school or for the pride of being an alumni and we didn't take care of ourselves. And that's kind of the culture that we've built and that's where we're at now. But that kind of break has given everybody a chance to step back and decide to put themselves first, which I think is extremely important. We work hard and we do a good job, like you said, and we deserve to be kind of rewarded for that. Um, I think the NATA kind of is doing a lot as well to try to help advocate for salaries and um, better working conditions for athletic trainers. I definitely think that's a part of it. Um, But I definitely think even coming from somebody that sits on a committee, there's more pressure on them to do that because athletic trainers are advocating for themselves, right? right. If we're advocating for ourselves, they have to advocate even harder because now we've kind of raised the bar for what sure. our strategic alliance has to do for us because we're doing it for ourselves now. You know, the bar was a little bit lower when people were not quite doing what they needed for themselves. But I think we're really forcing the organizations to also raise the bar um, in terms of what they're providing us generally as athletic trainers. So I know on the compensation committee, that's been one thing that I've kind of barked about a little bit is, um, making sure the opportunities that we're offering athletic trainers are worthy. Like there's something that I would take, like, I I don't think we should just be posting positions that, you know, are the opposite of what we're kind of preaching to students or preaching to athletic trainers. Um, you know, we, we shouldn't be endorsing those types of working conditions. So for me, I understand, there's logistics and politics behind it all. So, you know, we can't just X out everything, but I do think there has to be, we have to take a stance of what we want to see for the future. So I think those, again, those organizations have to set standards. And even if we, you know, lose some money on the background, I think our members will have so much more respect for us if we kind of raise the bar and don't allow those things to come through. And we kind of close the gate on those things. Yes, there may be less jobs available, but at least the ones that are available are kind of endorsed by what we want to see for the future of our profession. So it's kind of a balancing game, but.
0: Yeah, I feel like that, because I ran into this situation a lot in a previous role where we had three part-time positions that paid part-time, but we actually treated them that way where you weren't there for more than your allotted hours in a week, or if you had a busy part of your season, we made up for it on the back end when things quieted down in your off season. And so it almost seems like in some of those instances, like an hourly rate, like a true hourly rate of up to this amount would be more of the guideline. And so you don't have these ones that, you know, are internships paying 10 grand that are expected to work 40 hours a week or whatever it may be. Um, But yeah, I I hear what, I totally hear what you're saying and think that'd be a really unique step. It
1: it kind of goes to transparency, like you said though, right? Like I don't, necessarily think something is wrong with an hourly job right of course maybe you may not get benefits and but depending on your situation that that might be okay right if you're right, in a situation right. where you have a roommate or a spouse or less bills or less student loans that yep. might be okay for you but it's really important that we are very transparent about what that's going to be up front right like even I think a lot of people take, like the internships for experience, quote unquote, right, which is fine if you're trying to get yourself to a particular place. But again, I think there's very important that we are very transparent about what that experience is going to look like and where it may get you, right? Because what do you want the experience in? Is it going to give you the network that you need? Is it going to give you the qualifications that you need to get the next position, Um, You know, are we just saying that and kind of throwing a really nice university name on it? So Uh, transparency, I think, is extremely um, important. And if athletic trainers aren't finding that in the job description or in the interview, you know, I think they're more apt to say no now and move on to somebody that can give them that. For sure. I think
0: it seems like we can do so much to help ourselves in a profession, especially with some of these larger institutions that, the athletic budget typically isn't hurting um you know just based on some of the other things that you see and if you can't get the salary you want like we can control the hours within that salary or in theory within ourselves and getting some more advocation on that would be powerful especially to give a positive um experience for maybe a young professional that you know that's only job that they could happen to find right now, but then they can almost you know, have a testimonial saying, yeah, this is actually what it said it was be, would be. I was able to pick up another job just to have some more cash. It helped me get to my next step because the easiest part of finding a job is when you already have one, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little less, little less stress um, to do that. So yeah, I, it will be interesting how this all kind of shakes out in the next few years.
1: Yeah. I think from career advancement committee to what we're finding is that people know that, right? Like they know what they need or they know if they're in a bad paying job. I think the problem is like the application of the skill, right? So we can give them like an infographic that says you need to do X, Y, and Z. But in reality, like having the confidence to do that Um, with your stakeholders, especially when sometimes they can be pretty intimidating in that D1 setting or in the professional setting or or really whatever setting you're in. We're really trying to find ways to like improve people's confidence and application of those skills. Because I think at this point, there's plenty of, there's not a shortage of resources per se about what you need to be doing. There's maybe just a shortage of opportunity and resources to kind of apply those skills um, in a way that, works for you in your setting with your stakeholders so we're really just trying to find ways to to make it tangible and like realistic for people to take back to their respective settings because there are so many different settings we can't do an individual for every athletic training setting at this point right right? right. they're so widespread so we're really just trying to kind of get athletic trainers to critically think and and think about quality improvement cycles and i know it's kind of like that was the scary thing that happened on twitter right everybody freaked out about the quality improvement thing Um, and i don't think people were against what it was they were just kind of over against the way that it was delivered um so we're really just trying to find ways to to show athletic trainers how to see through those processes in a way that benefits them like at the end of the day whatever right. that benefit looks like to you and it's going to be different based on your personal situation and your goals and your desires but making the situation work for you is what's most important for us
0: that makes a lot of sense and i can't wait to see where that all goes here in the future um this wasn't really a question i had listed on there but i wanted to touch on it um just because you have done so much um professional service being on the tail end if you will of your young professional career which i was still surprised to see that that was 12 years which i'm just finishing or moving into my 12th year and man by mm-hmm. year eight oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah by year eight i didn't feel like i was that young anymore mm-hmm. um anyway um uh, you know, what are you awesome, but a, you know, what drove you to professional service? And then there's from time to time, again, you know, there's been some heat, I would say, you know, towards the NATA about what are you doing for us? What are things going? And I've seen that, um, within our state association as well, just, you know, people asking those questions, which I think are all very fair questions, especially as we're funding it. Um, but what drew you to the professional service, and is that something for those that are maybe having some serious critiques or questions that you would recommend, you know, to be a part of it, um, if they really do want to see that change, or what, how would you go about suggesting they navigate some of that? That's
1: a really good question. Um one thing I'll say about professional service is it's not for everybody. I think a lot of people, and you'll see it on Twitter, that people's automatic response is like, well, get involved and do something. But in reality, like it ain't for everybody. It's just not like, you have to be able to take the heat that's kind of on you and you have to be able to step into like a leadership role because in reality, that's what it is, especially as you kind of move to the higher ranks and you have to understand that things can't, just change overnight and that there are structural and like systematic processes um, that occur to like change an entire profession. So I think sometimes it's easier said than done when you're looking from the outside looking in. Nope. Um, I do encourage everybody to get involved if that's what they want to do, but in reality, it, it's not for everybody and it's it, it's difficult and it takes extra work that you're willing to do um, on top of your regular job. For me, um, I think, I realize I always laugh because athletic training I say is like the one thing that I knew I was good at. Like as soon as I went into school, I was like, okay, like I'm pretty good at this. And I like it a lot. I think I kind of had a path where I was a little unsure about exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and what setting I wanted to work in. And then as soon as I became an athletic trainer for me, it kind of all clicked. Um, so I'm always so grateful to the athletic training profession for like giving me that passion. Um, I think service for me is a way to like, I think I had barriers in my path that I, even when I was in the barrier, I didn't know that's what it was, right? Like some things were difficult for me and looking back on them, I realized that if I would have had mentors or more resources or um, kind of understood more that the process would have been easier for me. So for professional service for me is kind of giving back, especially to those in that younger generation or underneath me um, and kind of making it easier for them, right? Like I was one example, like work life balance. I think in my first four years, I didn't take any days off. I miss funerals, uh-huh. I miss weddings, I miss holidays, because that's just what I thought I was supposed to do. I didn't know how to advocate for myself. I didn't know how to ask for time off. I didn't know how to get appropriate study techniques for the BOC. You know, so I just want to uh-huh. make everything that I can easier for people coming behind me. Um, so kind of taking out some of those barriers, even when it comes to salary, right? Like I want, I had to struggle on my ramen noodle salary for my first two years when I lived in Miami and it's crazy expensive to pay for everything. Um, you know, I don't want the people coming under me to be as broke as I was. So if there's anything that I can do, um, to change that, I think for me, I want to do that, and for me, I think I've been able to see, like, the fruits of my labor through service, Um, kind of as I've moved to different committees and different ranks, I've been able to see that you can make a difference, um, which is kind of what encourages me to keep giving service back to the profession, Um, and I think, you know, it's admirable to do so, but it's not for everybody, so I definitely advise people to um, also serve in areas that, like, suit them, So I think for me, career advancement is something that I have been relatively successful at. And I feel like it's a good committee for me to be on because Mm -hmm. I have experience there and I can kind of help grow that. Right. But I think it's really important. Also, just like if you're writing a thesis or research paper, you want it to be on something that interests you. Right. So making sure that your service isn't something that you're passionate about. Um, is really important. Sometimes it can be difficult to get into professional service if you don't know the right people, if you will. I mean, I hate to say that because it shouldn't be like that, but it's true. Um, So, you know, don't just jump on any committee, just to jump on a committee, make sure that it is something that aligns with like your passion areas or your experience or or your ability to mentor, I think is very um, kind of important. So I do try to advocate because I think from behind closed doors, I can't see that NAT is always good. NATA or any of the strategic alliance is always good in their intentions. Right. Um. But it can be very difficult to to please an entire market of people with different personalities and di- different job settings and different future goals. Um. Right. So, you know, it it is challenging. I think for me, it's a really big part of listening, whether it's listening to people on Twitter, listening to people on Facebook, listening to people in person, uh, listening to my students in the classroom, um, listening to mentors who became before me and the experiences that they had and kind of trying to grasp um, what the root of the issue is and find ways that we can, again, tangibly help people get past that issue, so. You know, we we will never be perfect as the NATA or as any organization of anything. Right. All we can do is try to listen and and do our best in the way that we're able to.
0: I think that part you said about the listening is so huge and key. And I think that also is just something to kind of relay back to all those other ones. Like, in order for people to listen to you, you might need to go about it in a specific way and sometimes yelling on social media isn't necessarily always the best way to go. Um, but understand that that happens sometimes if you aren't feeling heard and I think for you just stating you know, that that's such an important piece that speaks really good volumes about where especially the committee that you're running, uh, the NATA is going and that you're willing to actually listen and hear to try and put together as good of a solution as you possibly
2: can.
1: Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse, right? Social media, because it's freedom of speech. So you're not, you're going to get the ugly with the good and the good with the ugly. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Like I said, you have to be able to take the heat if you're going to sit in that seat, but I want to hear the bad things too. And I think people are angry traditionally because they feel like their voice wasn't heard, right. Whether it be because, you know, there's a ton of cultural barriers there. Obviously there are a lot of Mm -hmm. things that have gone on culturally in the community. Um, and certain people feel like their voices have been marginalized, and social media has given people an outlet to speak directly to people that they wouldn't see in person, right? right? It's given you an outlet to speak directly to your NATA president without ever seeing her in person. And, you know, I think our leadership is open to hearing that um as much as they can they're open to hearing the good and the bad and kind of trying to decipher what the root of the issue is so I realize that all criticism may not be constructive um but but we can make it constructive kind of in one way or another so um I may sit back and not get into the Twitter uh dumpster fire sometimes but I think I'm always without a doubt watching and listening and kind of trying to get to the root of what people are feeling because I think it all comes back to feeling. Um, I don't really know an athletic trainer that's not passionate. I'm sure there's a few out there, Right. But those are the ones that burn out. So usually, like I said, the anger comes out of the passion somewhere. So really trying to figure out where, where that went wrong is important for me and trying to pull them back in, um, in a way that we can help them be a part of this profession for the future.
0: Agreed. I very much. I'm with you on the I read and observe and try not to insert more more than I think is necessary because sometimes it just isn't gonna go where you would hope it would go. Yes, and it's hard to make an argument in two hundred and eighty characters
1: it, that that as well that
0: as well. Um, so one of the questions that we did have as we kind of wrap up some of this is you know you've worked you are a dAT you've done you've done that. Uh, and then now you work at AT still um, to help recruit people to that and also teach. Uh, where do you see the role of the DAT programs and how they, you know, help it move the profession forward? Are they necessary? Are there going to be more? Will it continue to grow? How do you see that? Obviously, having gone through one and now being a part of one.
1: Yeah. Um, I have always been a bit of an early adopter, I guess you would say like a forward doctor. I did my entry level master's. So I got into athletic training a little late. Um, I was early to the entry level master's. So, you know, I was still on, I think there were like maybe 10 master's programs. So, um, I kind of took that alternate route and then the D18 for me was still very new when I started it. So I kind of took that alternate route as well. And I feel like it's been very beneficial to me. I think kind of where we're at with DATs right now is like a small plateau. So I think we saw a lot of programs kind of come out the gate and get the first group of people that were like ready to get the DAT and super Mm -hmm. excited. And I think now we've hit a bit of a plateau, which I think we'll pick up again shortly, especially kind of after we get through this current stage that we're in. Um, Kind of with the demand for athletic trainers, but I really do think that they are part of the future of athletic training. I kind of look at it as when you're in a professional program, you're just becoming an athletic trainer, you're learning like the basics. Yep literally, right? You're learning like, this is a knee. This is what's in the knee. This is a lockman, This is how you know the knee is broken. I'm mean, proficient, like, if you will. Right. You're literally proficient, right? So you're learning the base level. And then as you get out, you kind of learn more holistically about the knee. So I think the DAT is that way to like advance your knowledge there. I think regard all of the DATs are different because they all kind of have different specialty areas, yep. if you will, or different focuses. But I think regardless of which program you choose, they are all kind of creating critical thinkers, right? So you're no longer thinking about just the knee; You're thinking completely systematically, not only like the hip, the ankle, the rehab that goes into it, the technology that goes in it, but you're also thinking of things like what is the cost to the system? Like how many knee injuries are happening? How is it affecting my school? How is culture affecting it? How is gender affecting? Like the whole entire spectrum that now surrounds the knee, not just the knee anymore. I think it's really, teaching athletic trainers to be critical thinkers, which I think we cannot move our profession much further than it is now. If we don't start thinking kind of on a larger scale about like what our role is in the healthcare professions as a whole. Um, And I think that's part of the demand too. Right. So I think if we don't start thinking a little bit more bigger picture Um, I don't think we can move the profession forward. I think just thinking about single unit items is just not efficient anymore. And it's really like counterproductive. You really have to think about kind of advancing that, right? And if you want to be more respected as an athletic trainer, you have to start thinking about things like that, like risk management and cost management and how it looks to your stakeholders and being able to speak that kind of language. And I think you really have a more critical perspective um, what that's going to look like. Great. Right? So I think DATs are going to play a really large part in doing that because there's going to be minimal ways that you can advance your education, right? You can get a PhD, but that's going to be solely really focused on research and teaching. You can do a residency program, which will make you really good at a specific skill. Sure, but sure. if you want to advance your education as a whole and really advance your perspective, the DAT is like the route to go regardless of what program you choose. I think it's going to have a really big impact on like elevating our profession to the next level, um, individually, how we think, and then how we kind of work collectively as a whole. So I'm really excited to kind of see where our program goes and then obviously where all the other programs go. And hopefully we see more DATs kind of start to birth, um, once we fully transition to like the master's level. Yeah. Yeah. For undergrad. So I love the DAT. I'm, I always say that I hashtag everything DAT life because I really feel like my life as a clinician changed. Um, sure. like before and after I got the DAT. So that's kind of where my hashtag came from. Um, because my thinking has just changed incredibly since then. So when I kind of think of something that's critical or like a, a random thought, you'll kind of see me hashtag that because I really feel like that's like the next level of thinking about whatever issue that is that I'm thinking of at the time.
0: No, I, I really liked how you said that it sounded like i've kind of had this conversation with students so i probably feel like i'm five seven years behind where i could be because those moments of like oh the knee and the hip and but it's also tied to this like didn't happen for me as quickly as i in hindsight would have liked them to and like what i've kind of slowly picked up over the years potentially could have been consolidated into a you know Two or three years, depending on the program. I'm not entirely sure how long all of them run, and okay. maybe jump, uh, and jumped me ahead to where now I don't feel like I'm still playing catch up um, for things I shouldn't. I feel like I shouldn't be. Um, so I really appreciate that description and makes me wish I would have gone back and done a DAT.
1: Um, (laughs) Never too late. We are currently accepting applications at A.T. Still University.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Still working through a PhD program. So uh, we'll see maybe in a few years. There you go. Lots of scholarships, hopefully. And in, in respectful of your time, as I know you've got another talk coming up here in the near future that you're getting ready for. Um, anything else that you want to cover around these topics, or are you ready to move into those AT chat questions?
1: I'm ready for tricky AT chat questions. All I did right. not prepare, so
0: hopefully nothing too tricky. It. And really, there's no wrong answer since it's all about your perspective on it. So. Um, first one is where do you see athletic training going in five to 10 years? And we probably have touched on this just a little bit, but if you could kind of reconsolidate that answer.
1: Yeah. Um, I think where I want to see, I guess I'll enter the word I want to see in five to 10 years is I want athletic training to be a household name. So I think we've done a lot of that, um, even in like my nine years as an athletic trainer, people are finally like every once in a while, I tell somebody I'm an athletic trainer and they like actually know what it is. Like now every once in a while, like we're starting to make progress that I'm not having to explain to every person what an athletic trainer is and and what they do, or I, I don't have to use the like water boy or running out on the field example, like people actually understand. So I do think we are making huge progress in that area. I'm hoping in the next five years that we will kind of truly become a household name, um, not only households, when I mean, we talk about parents and careers and all those things, but also like um, understanding from other healthcare providers. So that yeah. a physician, so that a nurse, so that an occupational therapist all understands what an athletic trainer does. Um, that's kind of the example that I want. I know that seems like a low hanging fruit a little bit or like a, a minor goal, but I think it's something we've been fighting for a really long time. And I think we really have the opportunity to kind of finally get there in the next five years, I hope.
0: Totally agree. Another guest was talking about that. You know, when you say a nurse, most people just know generally what a nurse does, even if they, you know, aren't in the healthcare profession and getting to that level of what we do. I I don't As low hanging as it seems, it's still got plenty of work to do. So I hear you there. Mm-hmm. Um if you could go back and give yourself some advice as a young athletic trainer what would that advice be and if you could kind of set the time period for when that you would give that advice
1: Ooh um that's a good question In the beginning I feel like I would say be yourself um especially To be honest, talking to the ethnic minority or the athletic trainer of color, um, I think sometimes we feel the need to kind of fit in with the crowd um, when our diversity is kind of what gives us our strength. So I think like looking back on it now, like be yourself all the time. I think especially in athletic training, we have a profession that isn't so cutthroat and so tight and so uptight that there is room for you to be yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that version of yourself is going to be a role model to people again, coming behind you, because if I could have saw an athletic trainer that looked like me or talked like me or acted like me, or was half as sarcastic as me coming up, (laughs) um, you know, I would have been more comfortable in my own shoes earlier. So I definitely would say that out of the gate, like if a student was graduating right now, I would tell them to like live in their shoes and be themselves. Um, I think now looking back on it, I know it's easy to say because now I'm nine years in, but advocate for yourself, like advocate for work-life balance, because if it doesn't start from the beginning, you're going to burn out super fast. And if you want to do everything and be everything to everybody, some people are like that, which is definitely me then do so, but do so on your own terms. Like I always said, I said two years ago that I would never miss like another event that was like really important to my life, whether it was a wedding, whether it was a funeral, Like the world will literally not die without you. And if they do, it's just, you know, it's an example of them needing to get more staff or them needing to pay more money or et cetera. So I think we're so afraid to even ask Like I literally look back at that. I remember I missed my grandpa's funeral because I didn't even ask for time off because I just assumed that it was like impossible to miss a football game if I wasn't solely the only person one year out of my profession that could handle a high school football game. In reality, they could have per diem somebody or had the other athletic trainer cover and I could have, you know, you don't get that time back. So don't do it for everything, but don't be afraid to do it. Um, don't miss those things that are are life-changing for you or are very important to you or they're just going to contribute to the burnout faster. So don't be scared to do so.
0: Agreed. What have you found to be the most influential resource in your career?
1: Resource? Um, I'll go semi-cheesy, but people, like actual mentors and people, um, yep. I think for me, I was a little late to find mentorship and I don't even know that, like, I thought that I needed mentorship. So maybe I never saw it because I didn't, wasn't looking for Mm -hmm. it. Um, But I think when I finally got good mentors, everything changed for me. Like the opportunities that I wanted, I started getting or, or the things that I needed to be successful. I started getting because I had people in place that could help me. So a lot of times we're too afraid to ask for help. Um, And I think even like with social media has, like I said, it's opened your access to everybody. Like you can literally tweet at anybody and they can see it, or you can DM anybody and they can see it. So people have by far been like the greatest resource for me, even like inpatient care, right? If I need to call a different type of healthcare provider, or if I need to get advice from a friend, like people are by far your greatest resource that's underutilized. So surround yourself with good people, whatever In whatever way you know how or whatever way is accessible for you
0: that that seems to be a common one across a lot of guests and yes the power of social media i say it so many times just around this podcast is the people i've gotten to spend an hour with or whatever just chatting probably never would have happened without setting this up and met some people that would never have met before and i'm glad i glad i have Yeah, for sure. As an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself?
1: Uh, Wine, wine. I I (laughs) drink a lot of wine. Uh, Most people know my husband is a football coach, so we're at all times running around crazy. I have a three-year-old who is running around crazy, so most of the time, um, wine. I recently joined CrossFit, so I'm a crazy CrossFitter. Okay. I go throw a weight around every once in a while.
2: Nice. Um,
1: but between the two of those, those are my kind of outlets, if you will.
0: What's your go-to wine?
1: Cheap Sutter Home Pink Moscato from Walmart not, or Publix, three, or $9.99. You get a nice, the big bottle. Okay. We, uh, we kind of go through it like water in this house, not just one. Um, <laughs> like that sounds bad, but we drink a lot of wine. It's the savior.
0: That's fair. I've got no argument with that one. Uh, if you could change or eliminate one thing, it could be a modality, a common practice, a mindset, um, or anything else you choose in the field and profession of athletic training, what would it be?
1: Ooh, ooh, that's a hard one. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> tricky. I'm laughing because it says modality and I love ultrasound. And every time people say that they beat me up because they <laughs> like they ultrasound. Out, but that, that can't be my real, um, that can't be my real answer. That's um, true. I would just say, let me put it this way, a mindset, like a closed door mindset. So I wish that I could get people who are stuck in their ways out of their ways and like open them to kind of see new avenues and new opportunities, um, and ways for things to get better. So I would pull them out of their ruts and inspire them somehow.
0: I like it. And interesting on the ultrasound.
1: I feel I love ultrasound. I'm sorry. It works.
0: Uh, final question. Um, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you?
1: That is a wonderful question. Um, for me, I like to use athletic training as an avenue, um, to improve people's lives. That sounds really cliche a little bit. Um, but I think athletic training is anybody who works clinically and even in education as well knows that athletic training is so much more than athletic training, like Mm -hmm. for our patients. And I think, you know, it's the example of everybody always wants to be in the training room. It's like a barber shop is the place where you can kind of go and combine in somebody away from all of the stress, right? Like away from the pressure, away from the stress. I think athletic training rooms and even classrooms are sometimes a safe space um, that serves so much as a A way to educate people about more than just the injury that they have, Mm -hmm. like about life, about culture, about diversity, about so many things. Um, And I think anybody who's worked in athletic training can say that they have affected somebody's life in one of these ways or another. And I think our our patients and our students do the same for us. So. I think it's just a really cool avenue, not only to provide healthcare, but kind of to make an impact on like individual people's lives. So for me, it's really, I think that's kind of, why my passion lies in diversity and like socioeconomic status, because I've seen the impact that a good relationship with your athletic trainer can have on somebody for like the rest of their life. And it, it may be in the way that they treat themselves or take care of themselves from a health perspective. It may be in the career path that they choose. It may be in giving them the confidence to speak up on something. But I think the relationships that we have with our students and patients are so special that, that we really, Get to impact people's lives so much more than I ever would have thought going through school being an athletic trainer.
0: I like it. Um, before we wrap up, um, yeah, if people wanted to connect with you, um, where would be the best place for them to do so? And we will link all these things in your episode page when we get
1: there. Um, I am on Twitter frequently young professional underscore at i st- i don't think they'll let me change my handle because one day i'm gonna have to turn it to old lady professional underscore <laughs> at um instagram i am sam's underscore at or miss like ms underscore nicolette at um i don't really use facebook
0: i see no. that now
1: you um, and then my email is Harris at atsu.edu. So feel free to shoot me an email. I love to meet new people. So don't ever be afraid to reach out. I'm, I try to pride myself on being pretty responsive. Um, so if you reach out, you'll definitely hear back from me. But I look forward to meeting everybody and talking more.
0: Sounds great. Well, really appreciate you being on. Glad we got to connect and make this happen. And definitely looking forward to future conversations as well. As we continue to evolve as this profession.
1: Absolutely.
2: All right. Thank you.
1: Talk to you soon, man.